Chapter Six of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone by Max Brand. Chapter Six. The New York Trail. On the train to New York that night, they carefully summed up their prospects and what they had gained. We started at pretty near nothing," said Ronicky. He was a professional optimist. We had a picture of a girl, and we knew she was on a certain train bound east three or four weeks ago. That's all we knew. Now we know her name is Carolyn Smith, and that she lives where she can see the East River out of her back window. I guess that narrows it down pretty close, doesn't it, Bill? Close? Asked Bill. Close? Did you say? Well, we know the trail," said Ronicky cheerily. "All we've got to do is locate the shack that stands beside the trail. For old mountain men like us, that ought to be nothing. What sort of stream is this East River, though?" Bill Gregg looked at his companion in disgust. He had become so used to regarding Dune as entirely infallible. That it amazed and disheartened him to find that there was one topic so large about which Ronicky knew nothing. Perhaps the whole base for the good cheer of Ronicky was his ignorance of everything except the mountain desert. A river's a river, went on Ronicky blandly, and it's got a town beside it, and in the town there's a house that looks over the water. Why, Bill, she's as good as found. New York runs about a dozen miles along the shore of that river, groaned Bill Gregg. A dozen miles," gasped Ronicky. He turned in his seat and stared at his companion. "Bill, you sure are making a man-sized joke. There ain't that much city in the world. A dozen miles of houses, one right next to the other. Yep, and one on top of the other. And that ain't all. Start about the center of that town and swing a twenty-mile line around it, and the end of the line will pass through houses most of the way." Ronicky Doone glared at him in positive alarm. Well, he said, "That's different. It sure is. I guess we've come on a wild goose chase, Ronicky, hunting a girl named Smith that lives on the bank of the East River." He laughed bitterly. "How come you know so much about New York?" asked Ronicky, eager to turn the subject of the conversation until he could think of something to cheer his friend. "Books," said Bill Gregg. After that, there was a long lull in the conversation. That night, neither of them slept long. For every rattle and sway of the train was telling them that they were rocking along toward an impossible task. Even the cheer of Ronicky had broken down the next morning, and though breakfast in the diner restored some of their confidence, he was not the man of the day before. Bill, he confided on the way back to their seats from the diner, there must be something wrong with me. What is it? I don't know," said Bill. Why? People are looking at me. Ain't they got a right to do that? Sure, they have, in a way. But when they don't seem to see you, when you see them, and when they begin looking at you out of the corner of their eyes, the minute you turn away, why then it seems to me that they're laughing at you, Bill. What they got to laugh about? I'd punch a gent in the face that laughed at me. Ronicky fell into a philosophical brooding. It can't be done, Bill. You can punch a gent for cussing you, or stepping on your foot. Or crowding you, or sneering at you, 
or talking behind your back, or a thousand other things. But back here in a crowd, you can't fight a gent for laughing at you. Laughing is outside of the law most anywheres, Bill. It's the one thing you can't answer back except with more laughing. Even a dog gets sort of sick inside when you laugh at him, and a man is a pile worse. He wants to kill the gent that's laughing, and he wants to kill himself for being laughed at. Well, Bill, that's a good deal stronger than the way they've been laughing at me, but they done enough to make me think a bit. They've been looking at three things these here spats, the red rim of my handkerchief sticking out of my pocket, and that soft gray hat when I got it on. Durned if I don't see anything wrong with your outfit. Didn't they tell you that was the style back east, to have spats like that on? Sure, said Ronicky, but maybe they didn't know, or maybe they go with some, but not with me. Maybe I'm kind of too brown and outdoors looking to fit with spats and handkerchiefs like this. Ronicky, said Bill in admiration, maybe you ain't read a pile, but you figure things out just like a book. The conversation was cut short by the appearance of a drift of houses, and then more and more. From the elevated line on which they ran presently, they could look down on block after block of roofs packed close together, or big business structures, as they reached the uptown business section, and finally Ronicky gasped as they plunged into utter darkness that roared past the window. We go underground to the station, Bill Gregg explained. He was a little startled himself, but his reading had fortified him to a certain extent. But is there still more of New York? asked Ronicky humbly. More? We ain't seen a corner of it. Bill's superior information made him swell like a frog in the sun. This is kinder near 100th Street, where we dive down. New York keeps right on to 1st Street, and then it has a lot more streets below that. But that's just the island of Manhattan. All around there's more. Manhattan is mostly where they work, they live other places. It was not very long before the train slowed down to make Grand Central Station. On the long platform, Ronicky surrendered his suitcase to the first porter. Bill Gregg was much alarmed. What'd you do that for? he asked, securing a stronger hold on his own valise and brushing aside two or three red caps. He asked me for it, explained Ronicky. I wasn't none too set on giving it to him to carry, but I hated to hurt his feelings. Besides, they're all done up in uniforms. Maybe this is their job. But suppose that feller got away out of sight. What would you do? Your brand new pair of colts is lying away in it. He won't get out of sight, none, Ronicky assured his friend grimly. I got another colt with me, and no matter how fast he runs, a forty-five slug can run a pile faster. But come on, Bill. The word in this town seems to be to keep right on moving. They passed under an immense, brightly lighted vault, and then wriggled through the crowds in pursuit of the astonishingly agile porter. So they came out of the big station to 42nd Street, where they found themselves confronted by a taxi driver, and the question, Where? I don't know, said Ronicky to Bill. Your reading tell you anything about the hotels in this here town? Not a thing, said Bill, because I never figured I'd be fool enough to come this far away from my home diggings. But here I am, and we don't know nothing. Listen, partner, said Ronicky to the driver, where's a fare to medium place to stop at? The driver swallowed a smile that left a twinkle about his eyes, which nothing could remove. What kind of place? Anywhere from fifty cents to fifty dollars a night. Fifty dollars! exclaimed Bill Gregg. Can you lay over that, Ronicky? Our wad won't last a week. 
"'Say, pal,' said the taxi driver, becoming suddenly friendly, "'I can fix you up. I know a little joint where you'll be snug as you want. They'll stick you about one fifty per, but you can't beat the price in this town and keep clean.' "'Take us there,' said Bill Gregg, and they climbed into the machine. The taxi turned around, shot down Park Avenue, darted aside into the darker streets to the east of the district, and came suddenly to a halt. "'Did you follow that trail?' asked Bill Gregg in a chuckling whisper. "'Sure. Twice to the left, then to the right, and then to the left again. I know the number of blocks, too. Ain't no reason for getting rattled because a joint is strange to us. New York may be tolerable big, but it's got men in it just like we are, and maybe a lot worse kinds.' As they got out of the little car, they saw the taxi driver preceding them, carrying their suitcases. They followed him up the steep pitch of the stairs to the first floor of the hotel, where the landing had been widened to form a little office. "'Hello, Bert,' said the driver. "'I picked up these gentlemen at Grand Central. They ain't wise to town, so I put em next to you. Fix em up here?' "'Sure,' said Bert, lifting a huge bulk of manhood from behind the desk." He placed his fat hands on top of it and observed his guest with a smile. "'I'll make you right at home here, friends.' "'Thank you, Joe.' Joe grinned, nodded, and receiving his money from Bill Gregg, departed down the stairs humming. Their host, in the meantime, had picked up their suitcases and led the way down a hall dimly lighted by two flickering gas jets. Finally he reached a door and led them into a room where the gas had to be lighted.' It showed them a cheerless apartment in spite of the red of the wallpaper and carpet. "'Only three bucks,' said the proprietor, with the air of one bestowing charity out of the fullness of his heart. "'Bathroom only two doors down. I guess you can't beat this layout, gents.' Bill Gregg glanced once about him and nodded. "'You come up from the south, maybe?' asked the proprietor, lingering at the door. "'West,' said Bill Gregg, curtly. "'You don't say.' "'Then you boys must be used to your toddy at night, eh?' "'It's tolerable dry country out there,' said Ronicky without enthusiasm. "'All the more reason you need some liquor to moisten it up. "'Wait till I get you a bottle of rye. I got handy.' "'And he disappeared in spite of their protests. "'I ain't a drinkin' man,' said Greg, "'and I know you ain't, but it's sure insulting to turn down a drink in these days.' Ronicky nodded, and presently the host returned with two glasses, rattling against a tall bottle on a tray. "'Say when,' he said, filling the glasses and keeping on, in spite of their protest, until each glass was full. "'I guess it looks pretty good to you to see the stuff again,' he said, stepping back and rubbing his hands like one warmed by the consciousness of a good deed. "'It ain't very plentiful round here.' "'Well,' Greg said, swinging up his glass, "'here's in your eye, Ronicky.' "'And here's to you, sir.' "'Wait,' replied Ronicky. "'Hold on a minute, Bill.' "'Looks to me like you ain't drinkin', he said to the proprietor. The fat man waved the suggestion aside. "'Never touch it,' he assured them. "'Used to indulge a little in light wines and beers, when the country was wet. "'But when it went dry, the stuff didn't mean enough to me to make it worthwhile dodging the law. "'I managed to keep a little of it around for friends and men out of a dry country.' but we got a funny habit out in our country. We can't no ways drink unless the gent that's setting them out takes something himself. It ain't done that way in our part of the land, said Ronicky. It ain't? Never. Come, come. That's a good joke, but even if I can't be with you boys, drink hearty. Ronicky Doon shook his head. 
No joke at all, he said firmly. Matter of politeness, that a lot of gents are terrible hard set on out where we come from. Why, Ronicky, protested Bill, ain't you making it a little strong? For my part, I've drunk twenty times without having the gent that set em up touch a thing. I reckon I can do it again. Here's how. Wait, declared Ronicky Doone. And there was a little jarring ring in his voice that arrested the hand of Bill Gregg in the act of raising the glass. Ronicky crossed the room quickly, took a glass from the washstand, and returning to the center table, poured a liberal drink of whiskey into it. I don't know about my friend, he went on almost sternly, to the bewildered hotel keeper. I don't know about him, but some gents feel so strong about not drinking alone that they'd sooner fight. Well, sir, I'm one of that kind. So I say, there's your liquor. Get rid of it. The fat man reached the center of the table and propped himself against it, gasping. His whole body seemed to be wilting, as though in a terrible heat. I don't know, he murmured. I don't know what's got into you fellers. I tell you, I never drink. You lie, you fat fool, retorted Ronicky. Didn't I smell your breath? Bill Gregg dropped his own glass to the table and hurriedly came to confront his host by the side of Ronicky. Breathe, he asked the fat man hurriedly, still gasping more and more heavily for air. I. I may have taken a small tonic after dinner. In fact, I think I did. That's all, nothing more. I assure you, I. I have to be a sober man in my work. You got to make an exception this evening, said Ronicky, more fiercely than ever. I ought to make you drink all three drinks for being so slow about drinking one. Three drinks? exclaimed the fat man, trembling violently. It. it would kill me. I think it would, said Ronicky. I swear I think it would. And maybe even one will be sort of a shock, eh? He commanded suddenly. Drink. Drink that glass and clean out the last drop of it, or we'll tie you and pry your mouth open and pour the whole bottle down your throat. You understand? A feeble moan came from the throat of the hotel keeper. He cast one frantic glance toward the door, and a still more frantic appeal centered on Ronicky Doone, but the face of the latter was as cold as stone. Then take your own glasses, boys, he said, striving to smile as he picked up his own drink. You drink first, and you drink alone, declared Ronicky. Now. The movement of his hand was as ominous as if he had whipped out a revolver. The fat man tossed off the glass of whiskey, and then stood with a pudgy hand pressed against his breast, and the upward glance of one who awaits a calamity. Under the astonished eyes of Bill Gregg, he turned pale, a sickly greenish pallor. His eyes rolled. And his hand on the table shook, and the arm that supported him sagged. Open the window, he said. The air, there ain't no air. I'm choking, and. Get him some water, cried Bill Gregg, whilst I open the window. Stay where you are, Bill. He looks like he's dying. Then he's killed himself. Gents, began the fat man feebly and made a short step toward them. The step was incomplete. In the middle of it, he wavered. Put out its arms and slumped upon his side on the floor. Bill Gregg cried out softly in astonishment and horror, but Ronicky Doone knelt calmly beside the fallen bulk and felt the beating of his heart. He ain't dead, he said quietly, but he'll be tolerable sick for a while. Now come along with me. But what's all this mean? asked Bill Gregg in a whisper as he picked up his suitcase and hurried after Ronicky. Doped booze, said Ronicky curtly. They hurried down the stairs and came out onto the dark street. 
Then Ronicky Doone dropped his suitcase and dived into the dark nook beside the entrance. There was a brief struggle. He came out again, pushing a sulking figure before him, with the man's arm twisted behind his back. Take off this gent's hat, will you? asked Ronicky. Bill Gregg obeyed, too dumb with astonishment to think. It's the taxi driver, he exclaimed. I thought so, muttered Ronicky. The skunk came back here to wait till we were fixed right now. What'll we do with him? I begin to see what's coming off, said Bill Gregg, frowning into the white, scowling face of the taxi driver. The man was like a rat, but in spite of his fear, he did not make a sound. Over there, said Bill Gregg, nodding toward a flight of cellar stairs. They caught the man between them, rushed him to the stairs, and flung him headlong down. There was a crashing fall, groans, and then silence. He'll have a broken bone or two, maybe, said Ronicky, peering calmly into the darkness. But he'll live to trap somebody else. Curse him. And picking up their suitcases again, they started to retrace their steps. End of chapter 6